Hey everybody, it's Nick. I'm the producer here at Lead to Win. Both Michael and Megan are out on sabbatical right now, and so I have been tasked with sharing with you some of my favorite episodes of Lead to Win over the coming weeks. Um, we've been doing this show since October of 2017. There have been a lot of episodes, and so now's a good time to catch up on some of my favorites. And this week we're going to start with an episode that we made back in the before times, back when we could record together. This is October of 2019. It's a two-part episode on Enneagram types with Ian Cron, who is a good friend of Michael's. And I remember enjoying recording this, and I found the information to be very useful, especially if you hear Michael Megan talk about Enneagram types. This was really useful for me to be able to understand that a bit better. And of course, they talk about me and my four specialness, so I just have to include it here. So please enjoy, and uh, we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt, and this is Lead to Win, the weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And in this episode, which I'm really excited about, we're talking about your unique personality and what that means for mastering the art of productivity. Megan Hyatt Miller is on parental leave with her newly adopted daughter, Naomi. She'll be back soon, but today we're going to solve the problem of being your own worst enemy when it comes to productivity. And we're going to do that by helping you understand and work within your unique personality. And I'm joined, as always, by Larry Wilson. Hey, Michael. We have in the studio with us my good friend, Ian Morgan Cron, who lives about four blocks from my house, and we hang out a lot together. He's had a huge, huge impact on me. He's also the author of the best-selling book, The Road Back to You, which is absolutely the best introduction to the Enneagram you could possibly buy and read, and I give it to everybody. I'm probably, I've probably given cases of your book away, Ian. Ian's also, a lot of people don't know this, but Ian's an Episcopal priest. He's a licensed psychotherapist, and, and he's a savant when it comes to all things literature and culture. So he's just a, a delight to know and to be with. And so, Ian, welcome to the show. I'm super excited about this topic. Larry, Michael, thanks for having me. Well, Ian, this is a treat. I've enjoyed your book and profited a great deal from it, so it's great to meet you in person. And guys, I think what we need to do today is just, if we're going to talk about the Enneagram and productivity, let's just define what those are so we're clear before they work together. Now, I'm going to start with Michael because I know you have a unique twist on productivity. So give us the elevator pitch-sized definition what is productivity? Yeah, it's the ability to get stuff done. Now, that's how most people define it, but I would add a twist to it, and I would say this. It's the ability to get the right stuff done. You know, not everything advances you towards your goals. Not everything has the same weight, and it's not just busy work. It's not just getting more stuff done, but it's getting the right stuff done, not only in your work life, but in your personal life. I like that, which is good because I work here. But, <laughs> but <laughs> There is that. <laughs> Ian, uh, a lot of our listeners will know about the Enneagram. A lot of them won't. So can you give us a very brief primer on the Enneagram? Sure. So the Enneagram is a powerful personality typing system that teaches there are nine basic personality styles in the world and each of the nine types has a very distinct way of seeing the world and, this is important, an underlying motivation that powerfully influences how that type thinks 
feels and behaves in ways that are actually predictable and habitual. And in my experience, it is an invaluable tool for leaders at, at, in any kind of organization in their, both, as Michael was saying, in their professional and personal lives. Very, very, very powerful. I think the most straightforward thing to do is just go type by type and talk about each of the nine types and how that impacts and affects productivity. I, I think that'd be great. And I think I we should probably say at the outset, this is going to be a two-parter. So this is going to be two episodes. Uh, you can listen to them back to back, but there's so much content. I've talked to Ian for hours about this topic, and we're going to do well to get it into two episodes, but these are two episodes you don't want to miss. And so there's going to be a first part and a second part. It's going to take two episodes to get through all of it, but we're going to cover the gamut here. Well, Ian, with that, where do we start in the Enneagram? Well, let's start with the best one, Larry. Let's start with ones. I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> so there's nine altogether. We didn't say that, I think, at the, That's at the right. beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, ones are called the perfectionists. I often like to call them the improvers because I think sometimes uh, people find the word perfectionist pejorative, right? In, or negative in, in some ways. Meticulous, hardworking, reliable responsible. He's smiling. Yeah. I mean, I you, my you, hand raised you, right you now. all uh, m morally heroic people, people that you can count on to do the job and do it right the very first time. So you're going to discover as I talk about this, just, just about how amazing and wonderful each of these, how much potential each of these types has for leadership when they're in a really good and healthy space and how when they over-rely on their gifts, they become liabilities, mm -hmm. okay? So ones uh, are motivated by a need to perfect themselves, improve themselves, others, and the world. Twos are called the helpers. Uh, these are uh, warm, supportive, kind, be-there-when-you-need-it folks who just radiate love, uh, to the world and kindness to the world. They have an underlying motivation, which is a need to be needed and appreciated by others. Threes, oh, they're, they tie for first place. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. They, uh, they're called the, uh, the performers. I, I actually like the achiever as well. And actually, I have seen it where people have called them the producers. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, in the sense of being productive. Yeah. Right? So you really are the ultimate productivity machine. Charismatic, driven, ambitious, inspiring, uh, and... Keep it coming. Yeah. Continue. Uh, and no one gets more done than a three. You all are just machines. But your underlying motivation is a need to be successful, to appear successful... Uh, and to avoid failure at all costs. And to make the success look easy. Yeah. You've taught me that. No sweat. No sweat. You, you know, no one has a poker face like a three, man. I, they, <laughs> you know, they could be going into chapter 13 and they look like everything is being handled real easily, you know. Yep. Fours, they're called the romantics, sometimes the individualists. We see a disproportionate number of these leaders uh, in the uh, world of creative arts. Uh, and Here in Nashville. 
Here in Nashville, oh my gosh, how many fours do we see? A ton. And how many threes do we see who dress and want to appear like fours because they think that's the, (laughs) the emblem of success here in an arts based town? You know, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, fours are unusual leaders. Um, they are creative, a profound aesthetic sensibility, very drawn uh, to the avant-garde, actually, uh, to the unusual. These are people who have a need to be special and unique, and we could explore why at, at some other point, but that's uh, the underlying motivation. Fives are called the investigators, sometimes the observers, which I think is a terrific- I like that too. A terrific signifier for them. They're analytical, uh, the most emotionally distant number on the Enneagram. Um, these are these are people who have a need to perceive. They, they just want to know everything. Uh, they are compulsive gatherers of knowledge and information, and oftentimes terrific pioneer leaders. People like a, a Bill Gates would be a, a pioneering five uh, leader. Yeah, just extraordinarily talented when the when the as leaders when they're in the zone, right? I bet they're really hard to beat on Jeopardy. They are so hard to beat impossible. on Jeopardy. Yeah, in, basically impossible. In fact, I was watching Jeopardy the other night, and two of the three I'd have bet my my house on were fives on the Enneagram, and I, I was thinking about that third person, like thinking, "Oh, honey, you got no chance." <laughs> <laughs> Sixes, yeah, sixes are called the loyalists, sometimes the devil's advocates. Uh, These are worst case scenario thinkers who have a profound need to feel safe and secure in what feels like an unpredictable and threatening world. However, they're fantastic leaders who are earthy, they're practical, they're witty. Um, They uh, really have a, a terrific gift for seeing possible threats on the horizon, which can you know, as a leader, what a gift. You right? better have some on your team. Oh my lord. Yeah, you you better. And I got some stories about that about companies that didn't and who were great those and others that were grateful they did for lots of reasons. Sevens are called the enthusiasts. These are cheerful, optimistic, incredible ideators. They they can just see patterns and, and possibilities. They're the first person you want to see in the hallway at work in the morning. They just can do people. Now, the dark side of the seven is they have an underlying need to see unlimited possibilities. They're always planning new adventures and escapades in service to avoiding difficult feelings and difficult Mm. circumstances. But amazing leaders, I put probably Steve Jobs in that category uh, Mm. of a a seven. Um, Possibly. I've Mm. heard others think that he's a one, but... You know, he certainly has a lot. I think he's a seven. All right. Eights, the challenger. We we think of eights and threes as the iconic leaders in organizations. Um, we lionize eights and threes mm-hmm. in American culture in particular as leaders. Eights are, well, they're challengers. They're, they're blunt, powerful, larger than life presences who can be combative and confrontational. They have a need to assert power and control over the environment and others in order to mask weakness and vulnerability. Okay. Interesting. Yes, absolutely. And they are, but I mean, I will say this, one of the most amazing things about AIDS is that despite a very uh, defended exterior, they they have one of the most sensitive, loyal, caring, Mm -hmm. loving hearts uh, of, of any type. 
And, and they're often the most popular type on the Enneagram because they have so much gusto for life. We, we have several eights on our team, including some women, yes. female eights. And man, I wouldn't trade them for anything. No. And I've seen them challenge me, you know, go toe to toe with me on the one hand, but be in tears because they care so deeply about justice and fairness yes. and championing the right cause. You bet. Uh, they are remarkable human beings. And I'm, I'm happy to say that in the world, of, in, or, in the organizational space, more and more women are being accepted as challengers, whereas in previous generations, they were really discriminated against for, for embodying characteristics and traits that were associated predominantly with men. Right. And now we're seeing that that people are are willing to follow a powerful woman eight. And thank goodness, because I, we've lost a lot of mm-hmm. powerful women. You know, my mom is in this category. Mm. And, and so anyway, nine's the last one. I love nines. I'm married to one. I'm father to one. Uh, pleasant, laid back, accommodating, sometimes too accommodating. They're motivated by a need to keep the peace, to merge with others, and to really avoid conflict in service to maintaining inner tranquility, which is something that they're very attached to uh, in life. So those are the. that's a very quick praises of these nine numbers. I mean, as you know, Michael, from studying the Enneagram, there's so much more I can oh, say so about much each more. of these types. And again, I just want to encourage you to get a hold of Ian's book, The Road Back to You, which explains all this in much, much more detail, more time than we've got time for in these two podcasts. But that's a great overview. You probably heard your own type in there somewhere, or perhaps think you did. You may not know what your Enneagram type is. Ian, how can we find that out? Oh, man, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, so two ways. One is to read a, a good primer or introduction to the Enneagram. And I'm really am proud to say, or delighted to say, that I, I really do think The Road Back to You, An Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery, the book that I wrote, is a is a really good introduction. You Absolutely. Know? Uh, and the best. So thank you. And, and so that's one way, right? The second way, in a great way, is I have an assessment called the IEQ-9. And I think it is the best assessment available, uh, the best validity and reliability for results and the the amount of material it gives you to describe your type. And it's both its, its blights and its blessings uh, and familiarizing yourself. I mean, I, to me, it's a very powerful tool. And I've, I've had great feedback on the IEQ-9. And they can go to my website, iancron.com, and go to the tab on top that just says IEQ-9 and, and take that deal. So... That's awesome. And we'll put a link to that site and to the book in the show notes at lead2.win as well. The thing that we want to talk about, particularly on this show, is how do these numbers deal with productivity? We want to talk about productivity by the numbers, but what are the unique challenges? What are the unique advantages of each of the Enneagram types when it comes to getting the right things done? which is a challenge that all of us face in general, but the numbers give us a particular slant on this. Anything you want to say, Larry, before we dive into this? Yeah, I would just encourage people who are listening to keep the two tracks in mind. If, if First of all, everyone has an Enneagram type, whether you're aware of it or not. So you're going to learn a lot about your own productivity and some of the pitfalls that can arise. But think about the people you work with yes. as well, because they do too. You may... You may not know exactly what type they are, but it's going to open your eyes to the fact 
that everybody has a unique way of thinking, feeling, and approaching problems, and it's just going to be different than yours. And that's, I think that's a good lesson. So bear that in mind as you listen. I, I want to say too, before we get into this, that the thing that this has really helped me with is to not make people wrong because mm. they're different than I am. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think that, that the great value of the Enneagram system is it's given me, first of all, empathy, a self-awareness for myself, but then empathy for other people. And to realize that just because they have a different approach that can actually be a strength in an organization. There's certainly some challenges. And if I understand them as a leader, I can help them overcome those challenges, but I can also appreciate them. Mm-hmm. So should we start with type one? Yeah, I'm all in favor of that. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, how can, how can I be more productive? Well, I mean, um, you, you actually articulated a, a number of ways in your opening remarks uh, about, about one's as you mentioned, ones have a uh, have to be careful of putting off starting or completing tasks because they just fear they're not going to do them perfectly. I often say, if you if you see a one tapping the tapping their desk with the eraser side of a pencil, staring at a blank page on the screen, you just need to go over to them and say, "It's okay. Just just start. Make t- <laughs> make make all the mistakes. We can go back and fix them. You know, and just really encourage them not to put off what they they can do." Uh, and that assure them that if they make mistakes in the first round, it's actually expected and it, it's, you know, it's actually to their benefit. Get those mistakes out of the way. Um, I would say also that uh, if one's, Mike, what did you say to me one time? You know, don't, don't wait until something's perfect. Get it out, get it done. You know, just get it. Yeah. What is it? What does it used to say to me again? Well, I thought I probably said it much more clever when I said it before, because I don't remember what it was, but I, but I said it's, it's, it's much easier to steer a moving car. Yes. And so get the thing in motion. Yes. And then you can perfect it. Yeah, absolutely. You also said something else to me once that's uh, applicable here, which is don't compare your middle to somebody else's finish. Is that? Yeah, I, I don't think I said that. I, I may, may have said it, but I didn't originate it for sure. But that's that's true. It may have been John Acuff. I'm not sure. Okay. And here's why that's important for once in terms of productivity. They're always comparing themselves to other people. Is that true, Larry? Do you do that? Uh, it's a disease. Uh, you, you, <laughs> you, you I don't know if there's any cure, but yeah, they, they really do. And, and I think when you begin to compare, uh, or to measure your success, uh, against, uh, another person's performance, it's a hindrance to productivity. It is. It, it really, it slows stuff down. Can I ask you a question Larry, about your experience right now? So my sure. therapist is yeah, coming out. Sure. This, I'm looking at this as a free counseling session. Yeah. Ian, right? uh, I didn't say anything about free. Um, <laughs> yeah, if you didn't hear it, the meter is running. Um, so as we're doing this interview right now in real time, is there a portion of your brain that is uh, actually monitoring and critiquing how you're doing so far in this interview? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) How does he read my mind? Yeah. Well, you know, and so that's that internal critic. The inner critic is, uh, for ones, is both a blessing and a a curse, right? It can it can push you toward being effective and productive. It can be emotionally exhausting because the critic can be severe and harsh uh, at times. But um, I've always, to your point, Mike, about empathy and compassion, every type has 
a blight. You know what I mean? And, totally. and, and this is one for ones that they have to learn how to steward and manage. Because again, it can get in the way of productivity. Mm-hmm. If you always have this inner voice saying, you shoulda, you oughta, you must, you coulda, why didn't you? You know, uh, r- running uh, in your head, it's standing in the way of productivity in part, I would say, because it's driving you into work that you can't stop because there's always something to perfect or improve in the world. And you, it just drives you. It makes relaxing and, and just chilling almost impossible for you, isn't it? I think it's, it, it's very difficult. And I've, uh, thankfully, I've grown in this journey over the years. But if you happen to be in, in a line of work or a profession where there are no clear finish lines, mm. Uh, if you're a creator, if you're uh, a minister, if you're something where there's always more to be done, it is absolutely exhausting. Mm-hmm. If you can't, if you're not aware of that in yourself, and put some stops where there aren't natural finish lines or or boundaries, uh, it's it's very important to learn. It is, and ones have to be careful that they don't become resentful of people who are able to relax you're rolling your eyes at me and and they don't they they feel like gosh i feel like i'm having to do the work of 20 here because other people aren't pulling their weight and uh that can too become a a relational problem uh as well as a problem for ones who can become workaholic like threes but for an entirely different reason Mm -hmm. okay the counseling session is over now (laughs) so so what would you put your clothes Well, let's move on to type two, which uh, we've called the helper. Yep, that's absolutely true. And as I mentioned earlier, very caring people as well as the most interpersonal, most relational number on the Enneagram. They're people who get up in the morning, first thing on their mind is not productivity, it's people, it's relationships. You go to bed at night, the last thing they think about is relationships. Uh, It's just the whole... You know, it's just their whole being and their way of identity is actually lived through the lens. Uh, And their self-esteem is very much related to their relationships. Which sounds awesome. Yes. But I would think that it could present some problems when it comes to productivity. You bet it does. Uh, So if you have a two on your team, and two leaders are guilty of this as well, uh, and you see them wandering around from desk to desk and office to office, and they're asking about, how are your kids? And what's going on? And tell me how you're feeling, which is a big theme mm. for twos who are exquisitely attuned to the feelings of other people. To a three, for example, that can look like slacking off and not getting stuff done. Yeah. And I have to remind threes and other numbers sometimes that, no, 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 that's how they get it done. If they go too much in that direction then they're not doing any tasks. They're not actually buckling down and doing the stuff that's not relationship-based. Well, that's that's a big problem for twos. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they have to, at times, just discipline themselves to get the report done, to get to the list, not just to the relationship. Let me ask you a question about that statement, that's how they get things done, meaning working relationally. Can you describe what that looks like I think Michael and I are exchanging glances over here. It's like people focus. What? Why? <laughs> Speaking we're of so task oriented, we're so tasked. Yes. Can you talk more about how that relationality is a form of productivity? Sure. Well, first of all, let's just face something in life: relationships are everything. 
Yes. They're, I do they're everything. And I they trump, agree. they really do trump uh, tasks. Yeah. Uh, and the, the problem threes and ones and uh, eights and other numbers that are, you know, are very drawn to task is they miss out on the human component. Uh, and they're so focused on getting things done that they can blow through other people. And so there's a price to pay when that happens, right? So I, I would say that uh, one way that a two can um, get things done through relationships is they often gravitate toward jobs where that's the case, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we they fall into that slot. So for example, um, twos can be the people in the office, in the organization who know everything that's going on in the lives of the people around them. And they make it possible for others to be productive, right? They mm-hmm. create an atmosphere and an, uh, the natural climate in which people feel cared for, People feel safe. They're always the people in the office who know who's getting divorced, who's pregnant, whose kid's birthday it is, who's other people's birthdays. They're the ones bringing balloons and, you know, cakes. And they're they're taking care of people on that level. You'll rarely find better salespeople. You'll, you'll rarely find better customer service people. Uh, they're the people you want your customer to see the first thing they come in the door. You want them on the other end of the phone with an angry client. Uh, who, because they're actually saying, I really care. You also often see them as the second power, the power behind the throne. There are people who people go to before they go to the boss because uh-huh. they know that this person can actually take their concerns to the boss and communicate it in a way that the boss will receive because uh-huh. they're so attuned to the boss's feelings. And, you know, they, they just know how to put things that in a way that other people can can hear it, you know, because they're so focused on the feelings of, of others. They, I mean, they're, they're really amazing when they're healthy in an office. And I've, I've consulted with companies many times and said, you notice there's a big, big, big blank space here of twos. And, and I, you know, some industries that's not as necessary as others, but I'm, I'm always like, who's answering the phone around here? Yeah. Well, what are the challenges when it comes to productivity though? Cause, cause all that sounds great. Yes. And we want those people, but I know a fact that they have some unique challenges when it comes to productivity. So what are those? Well, as I mentioned, they can get too caught up in the world of relationships and not get stuff done. Yeah. Right. And so they, they seem to have a hard time saying no sometimes too. Oh my gosh. And yes. To their own detriment. Yes. Twos and nines. They can um, get overloaded uh, with work and, and Lord forbid, they start to feel like others are taking advantage of them because that will awaken real resentment and meltdown. In a Rich. two, uh, and like a, like other numbers, they can work themselves into a froth uh, and exhaust themselves, and that's where you really begin to see this resentment and anger arise, where they start to feel like other people are taking advantage of me. I'm always there for them. Why aren't they there for me when mm-hmm. I need it? And you know that can that can become really uh, problematic for a, for a two. So, what advice would you give to the two when it comes to productivity? What are the things that that they need to do? What are the things they need to avoid? So one of the things I'd say is they've got to move away from social media, partly because what are they doing when they're on Instagram, Facebook? They're catching up with relationships, right? They're, they're not buckling down. And uh, so I oftentimes tell twos, block out a couple of hours during the day where your phone is off, where all of your, your ability to go online mm-hmm. is severely limited, 
uh, you're away from your social media platforms because they're just drawn. You know, how's everybody doing out there? I want to know what's going on. How can I help? Yeah. And, and, and of course, again, when we over rely on our gifts, they become liabilities. And their gift is that attunement. And when they rely on it too much, that attunement becomes the very, very thing that's self-limiting and sabotaging. Okay, let's move to type three, which is the performer or achiever or producer. Michael, this is your type, and I'm sure you'll be pleased to be front and center here. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Enough about you guys. Let's talk about me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, productivity is not usually a challenge for threes. You know what I mean? Like, as leaders, as, as people, productivity is generally not their issue. Um, where their their issue can come, I think, in, uh, in in terms of productivity, sometimes threes will settle, will go after productivity and really settle for efficiencies. You, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think they have to be careful uh, of that. Sometimes on route to the goal, they're willing to cut corners when they're not very self-aware, particularly young threes. It's like, I just want to cross the goal without doing due diligence and being deliberate I just want to, you know, let's get to the goal. Yeah. And I want to get there first before everybody else. And I've right? been guilty of that. Right. So that's a- not, not cutting the corners ethically right. so much, but but not doing my due diligence and just like, okay, I'm sure it's good. Let's go. Right. And that's gotten me, tr- gotten me into trouble. Which, by the way, will drive a one crazy. Yeah. All right. No comment. <laughs> well, and, and part of that is, and this is, by the way, threes and ones often get confused with each other. I thought I thought it was a one for I one. I remember that. I one. thought it was a three at first. Okay, let me just tell you, the, want to know the difference? You're an idealist. So idealist, and here's where your idealism really comes out. It's like you want to do things right, and you have an ideal in your mind of what right looks like. and But in part, you, you, you're an idealist who's fighting that inner critic. And so you're trying to avoid mistakes because you don't want to have that inner critic unleash itself on you. Mm-hmm. So you have a very, very sensitized conscience, right? So you're an idealist. You're a pragmatist. Totally. This is the difference between a one and a three. And that's where you get you can bump into each other because you're more concerned about ideals, getting things right. You're more of a pragmatist, like, let's just get it done. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the fact that a three will eh, kind of rush to the goal line without getting everything done correctly, at least in the mind of the one... Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Except one, not Michael. Not, of course not Michael. <laughs> but, you know, because Michael, by the way, has done a tremendous amount of work. And, you know, you've reached levels of success where some of the uh, negative dimensions of your type have had to be burned off. Yeah. And most of that's come through failure, through yep. mistakes, through a lot of pain. Yep. And all that's good. Well, and your willingness to talk about mistakes is an indication of health. And you've shared mistakes with me in private uh, that, that you, and I've seen you do it in public in service to helping others succeed. Hmm. And that is a major marker of health for a three. If a three is unwilling to, to even admit, here's my failures, or if I sense that they're actually talking about their failures as a way to make themselves appear successful, mm-hmm. right? You can just smell it when it's happening. It's yeah. like, you know, well, this is part of the shtick. You know, right. it's like, oh, well, let me talk about my failures. In the book, I wrote about my failures. <laughs> <You know? laughs> part of and, the branding. Yeah, right. It's part of the brand instead of coming from a place of authenticity. Yeah. Right. And humility. When I feel that, which I've often felt from you more often than, I mean, pretty consistently. When I sense that, then I know a three is on a good path. 
Mm. Um, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So they so for threes, I think you know productivity um, has to be tempered. They can become workaholics. Definitely. They they don't know when to stop. They they equate success with love, which you know becomes a problem, right? Because that means you'll never stop working. There's never there's never enough achievement. That tank can never be filled. Never. And so when a three oftentimes hits a wall where that game can no longer be sustained, it usually often happens in midlife uh, or in little way, little times uh, along the way, but then they, there's oftentimes a, a, a significant problem that comes along that makes the three self do some self-examination, which actually I think leads us into one of the things that for the sake of productivity, a three has to do, which is develop a real practice of silence, meditation, and solitude, because you place such a value on activity and productivity. And so, you know, um, and, and maybe that's what I was trying to say earlier, too, is that threes can, if they're not very well directed, can confuse activity with productivity. And that's not the same thing. As that's you know. a really, really important point. It's yeah. not the same. Definitely not the same. Yeah. I think sixes, I mean, threes also have to learn how to be just another bozo on the bus and be okay that they don't have to lead. They don't have to be driving it. And they have to, and I think this is, again, a, a real signifier of health for the three, which is when they start to be more concerned with making help, helping others succeed. Yes. H- how do I take my superpower and give it away? How do I put the spotlight on other people's success rather than flaunt my own? Because um, that's a pattern I see in young or image, mm-hmm. not very threes that are very self-aware. It's like constantly. I heard something the other day that was fantastic. This guy was name drops keep falling on my head. You know, <laughs> it's like the three can sometimes fall into that pattern of, you know, how can I inject into a conversation or the moment how uh, all of my achievements, all the people I know, all the awards I've racked up, and again, Mike, I, I think with you, I. I don't see that that pattern, and I, you're so self-aware and able to, I think, spot your baloney when it comes up. Well, you, you know, that's what it's all about. You. Thank you, and I, and I certainly give you permission to uh, call me out on that uh, if I engage in that behavior. But I I, th- I think one of the things too that I've had to learn as a three is to just be aware of sort of this 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 drive to suppress my emotion in the pursuit mm-hmm. of a goal. Yes. And then those emotions, when they get buried, come up in very unhealthy ways. Mm-hmm. They might show up as anger. They may show up as depression. And I think it's hard for threes to even get at their emotion. Because I, I remember people would ask me sometimes, like maybe a two, would say, well, how do you feel? And I'm like, I don't know. And I don't care. Because I'm in the pursuit of a goal. Right. But that's not healthy. No. Uh-uh. And I've had And I've had times when I've had sort of explosive anger that's come out of nowhere. And I'm like, where did that come from? Right. Well, it's because I'd been suppressing that little by little till it just, you know, came out. So let me tweak that a little bit. Ones are also people who can disconnect from feelings and you are more likely to suppress anger, which then translates to your radiating resentment and judgment. Now, this is when you're in an unhealthy place. He's talking to Larry too, by the way. Yeah. yeah. And now, I, and I, I would say that's definitely been true. Right. Yeah. And that's one reason ones can get confused with threes. I wouldn't say you suppress it so much as postpone it. 
Ooh, that's a much better distinction. Right. So it's almost like you can take out a SIM card of feelings and say, in service to finishing this project, I am going to put my feelings aside right. versus suppress. Because feelings are messy. What are they going to do? They're going to slow me down. Right. I don't have time for that right now. Because I'm trying to be productive. That's right. And it, they, they create an efficiency drag. <laughs> that's what feelings do. You know what I'm saying? And so for, for, for threes, I think they have to stay in touch, learn how to stay in touch with their feelings and be productive at the same time. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and also be aware of the feelings of others. Like, to, like I've often I've worked with a CEO before and I've said, you know, people can't leave their personal lives at home. That's There's right. no such thing impossible. as it's impossible. They're going to bring their worries about their children or stresses in their marriage or anxiety. You know, they can't. Now, I'm not saying you should put up with people all the time trying to do therapy in the office, but we do have to be attuned to the feelings of others because, as leaders, we are also, I think personally, that we are charged with not only advancing the needs and the development of the organization, but of human beings. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's got to be balanced, but you can't do it if you're like, don't bring me your feelings because they slow me down. People feel discounted and uncared for in that kind of environment. Well, uh, Michael, we're going to take you off center stage now. I hope that's okay. I can handle it. Let's talk about type four, uh, which we sometimes call the romantic or the individualist. Yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, fours are, I got to be honest and say, I don't see a ton of four leaders in most organizations unless they're companies that are in the creative arts, that uh, that are attuned to or need to be attuned to aesthetic sensibilities uh, in the world and, and rely on unusual people who have unusual depth of imagination and emotion. Um, for fours, the challenge is, I think, in terms of productivity is that, that force can get swept up in the, the emotional space and they can lose the capacity for critical thinking. They have to balance emotional depth with critical thinking. By the way, force can be terribly ambitious. So the whole idea that fours are wandering off, you know, saying, consider the lilies. I mean, you know, they're not, you know, they can be very ambitious, very goal-driven, you know, and so we have to not slot people in stereotypes Right. Uh, these types are very complicated. So fours can be very ambitious. They just they, they too are idealists and, and, and can get stuck. You know, fours actually have an inner critic as well. It's just not as the volume on it isn't set as high as it is on a on a one. And I think it triggers more shame. I think four mm. shame is a major issue for fours. And so. They, they too can, can get caught up in procrastination and not pursuing goals because they can't, because they're, they, they're always falling short of the ideal. Not, you know what I'm saying? Like it's like, um, which is a whole different dynamic than it is for ones. It's a it's nuanced, but it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say too that um, fours are also, they can compare their progress against that of others. And what that does is it arouses their major passion, which is envy. So I, I oftentimes tell people like, don't say to a four, if you're a leader of a four, don't say to a four, why can't you be like John who gets copy written faster? Because you know what? That four is not going to spend say to themselves, okay, I'll do that. They're going to spend the rest of the day looking over at John, <laughs> <laughs> thinking, you know, uh, and feeling envious. 
of his or her ability uh, to, you know, to get the job done, right? That's not a motivator for fours. So they do need to be around conscientious people uh, and people that will help them to see their very special and unique gifts and leverage them toward advancing the purposes of the organization. They're fantastic. They build companies like Tiffany's or Herman Miller or other companies like that. We want to have the fullness of the of all these types represented in our spaces, right? Now, oftentimes I'll say to an organization that can't hire all those types or that are in industries where some types are better than others. You know, I recently did a, a company that is loaded with fives and ones. They're in the science space. They really don't have much need for twos. In, in a way, you, uh-huh. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Other companies would. But I say to them, okay, so maybe you can't hire them or you can't afford to hire them. Well, do you, is there a consultant that at times you can bring in to help you speak into that space? Um, are there types on your team that, you know, uh, can actually, they're going to have to expend more calories, but who can can consciously make the decision to fill that space as best they can? So the question I often ask in, in a consulting day is, what does it cost you not to have this type here? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't tell them. Maybe it's nothing or very little. But I just want them to consider, hmm, how, how is this, the, the, the absence of this quote-unquote energy um, actually slowing us down and creating uh, a lack of productivity, perhaps, or, or assurance of quality? To get back to productivity yes. for fours, Mm-hmm. What are the things that they need to do, and what are the things that they need to avoid? Well, they, as I as I as I said, I, I think they have to avoid allowing their the natural attraction to things that tap into their imagination and into their emotional depth to override critical thinking, mm-hmm. and they. I think have to realize sometimes that their way of doing things. People may not always understand it hmm. and that they, they can't take it to heart when others don't understand them because they actually they are hard to understand. Mm-hmm. I think people who lead them need to always remind a four, hey, we value your unique and special insights. Mm-hmm. If you do that with a four, even if you don't follow the recommendations they have, they'll be fine. You just have to recognize That's good. that they, you know, they do bring a unique voice to the organization. And I just want to say to Nick, who's our Nick. producer, we really appreciate you for your unique and special contributions. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Nick, as you very well know, we don't take all of your suggestions. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but we do appreciate them. That's right. We know that you bring unique value. Uh, your contribution is very special. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, thanks, Larry. Thank you, Ian. I'm going to stop it right here. We're going to resume next week. We're going to cover the last five Enneagram numbers. Thank you guys for joining us on Lead to Win. I hope you found this valuable. Join us next week when we'll cover the last five numbers. But until then, Lead to Win. 